the Staff and Graph podcast. This is weird. My lock's been drilled, so I open the door and my steering wheel is missing. Inlinks are salad. You know what? You're trying very hard not to get sued. You can have all the talent in the world skating around, but if you don't have a goaltender, it does not matter. Team tidy business, baby. It's the Staff and Grab Podcast. I'm Mike Stevens. This is Rachel Dory. You know, we are we are back in our uh, our hard launch era in that we are in a studio. We have lights. We have mics. It's fantastic. Rachel, crazy weekend of hockey transpired. And before we get started, actually, um, because we'll peek behind the scenes, we, we had about a three-minute false start. We recorded for three minutes, and Rachel's recording stops. We're doing this again, so it's almost like deja vu, but I will, I will switch it up. The NHL schedule is really annoying. And it reminded me, just as I said, a crazy weekend of hockey because on Saturday, we had 15 games. Which is so cool. Which was awesome. Sunday, we had two. Today, I believe we have one, which is Monday. We're recording this on Monday. Then tomorrow, on Tuesday, we have 16. So it's almost like the NHL is trying to do their NFL, which is like every team is going to play on Tuesday and they're going to have staggered starts and we're having a red zone, which Which is which is great. I'm never going to tear that down because I think that's a great idea. Objectively speaking, though, like there are days of the week, Fridays comes to mind immediately, Sundays as well, where there are like one or two games. Hmm. And if you want to stay relevant, you kind of have to pick a lane right you either have to go the nfl route which is like we own sundays or college Mm. football we own saturdays Mm -hmm. or you need to remain consistent like there it's pretty rare in the nba that there's two games so i think maybe the nhl needs to go sort of that direction the mlb is like completely different because they play 162 Mm -hmm. games it's not the same but the nba like it's rare you'll have a night where there's one game and so i think maybe the nhl even on a friday night what's wrong with friday night hockey Right. You're out. You're pre-gaming for whatever you're going to do. Like you're going out with the boys. All of your fans are nerds. They don't have plans on Friday night. Like they're they're like me who stay in and and, and, and watch, you know, like it's it, who, who cares. But the thing that annoys me is like for fantasy hockey. Oh, your lineups got all hot like your, and bothered. Your lineups get get destroyed because, and I'm two and oh, you know, I'm 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 a big deal uh, in our league right now. Make him a GM. Let's I'm, go. I'm killing it. I can basically run an NHL team by myself. I mean, let's be real. That's that's kind of what it is. If you can run a hockey, te- uh, a fantasy hockey team, you can run. Well, real let's see. Team. Will you cover up bad behavior? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I think uh, I, I, my philosophy is. If it doesn't happen on, if it doesn't, if it happens off the ice, it doesn't matter. That's my philosophy. It's a great way mm-hmm. to run. And you can quote me on that. <laughs> but um, no, but like for, for fantasy hockey, which is the, the rise of fantasy football, like there's so many things that, that go in football's favor to grow the sport. But fantasy football is huge because I didn't really become like a hardcore NFL fan until I started playing fantasy in grade 10. That's what that's where it forced me to learn literally the names of third string wide receivers on the Tennessee Titans, you know, like that's where it, it gets you invested in fantasy hockey. It's growing and that's good for the sport. It's not good when when, for example, like on my team, I had to I had to leave uh, Dylan Cousins, uh, uh, Johnny Goudreau and Claude Giroux all on my bench on sat on Saturday because there were so many games being played. I didn't have spots for them in my lineup. That's not good. Right. What if you did something like you have 
eight games on Saturday, which mm-hmm. you should. Like the most games, like every team should play either Friday and Saturday or mm-hmm. Saturday and Sunday or Friday and Sunday. Something like that. Yeah. I think would be it, like an interesting way. You could start games at noon because yeah. nobody's working and you just go from noon to like your last game. Sorry, San Jose. Your last game is not 1030. It's 930 on Saturday nights because you want the most fans to be able to watch the most hockey you want to keep them grabbed and then if the game at 9 30 to 12 people still have time to like go out or like whatever after mm-hmm. your pregame is effectively that like 8 30 or 9 30 start something like that i think could be interesting but fantasy you mentioned fantasy sports right this is the first year where i'm doing fantasy football mm-hmm. i'm in three different leagues in the one league they only allowed me in if i promised not to use my model it's the only league i've suffered a loss in <laughs> i'm so upset like my perfect i was what was it like i was 18 and 0 going into this week or no i was 18 and do you go like like daily like i'm in three leagues week six now we're on week seven okay so yeah no i was no so i was 17 and Mm one because i had one week four i think loss and then i was fretting to like this week because um the guy i has had Bijan Robinson as his running back and Bijan's been putting up but he didn't do anything this week so many points so I was fretting and then all of a sudden with no injury designation and I'm not happy about this because I hammered Bijan receiving props he just stayed on the sidelines a little game basically he played seven snaps I think like it was yeah it came out that he was sick and it's like that's supposed to be in the designation Mm. so I ended up winning the matchup because Bijan was sick (laughs) That yeah, my look. I ended up winning my fancy hockey matchup just because I'm the greatest that's ever lived. Um, you know, like that's just the, that's just what it is. Um, but uh, uh, it 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 just wreaks havoc on it. Like, why can't you know that meme where it's like, why can't it's the mother talking to the kid where it's like, why can't you be normal? And then the kid's just screaming like at at her back. It's it's like that at the end. You're like, why can't you be normal? Why can't you be like the NBA where they have like an even amount of games on every day and and it, it's it's possible to set a lineup or it's possible to and like the game tonight, I believe it's like the Habs and like the Wild or something. It's only available on NHL Network. It's not available anywhere else. Only it's an NHL Network exclusive, I believe. Okay, so that doesn't count for Canada. So it's never been harder to watch. Like we live in a world where you can, you should, you are able to watch anything at any time on your fingertips. If I if I wanted to watch, you know, like a, a the the a lost episode from a British remake of a 1960s American show, I can find it on the internet and watch it right now. But you can't. But like the NHL is like, oh, it's going to be difficult to. We're going to make it as difficult as possible to watch this league. So I have a kind of like an idea slash question so the ml if we're gonna be honest the mls has passed the nhl especially with Lionel messi now Mm -hmm. right one of the reasons that the mls has passed the nhl is the apple tv deal Mm -hmm. and what the apple tv deal is 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 a worldwide streaming deal so that you still have um rights with broadcast partners so like espn abc whatever still exists, but every single game is on an Apple TV platform and it's globally, there are no blackouts. So for highlights, there are no blackouts. So people could tweet out highlights. There are no blackouts. 
every game, regardless of whether it's on a rights holder or not. So like Toronto FC plays, has some games on TSN, mm-hmm. but regardless of whether or not the game is on TSN, it's going to be available be- after the fact on Apple TV and you can always watch it on Apple TV. I wonder if the NHL looks at that and says, is this a way to go about it? Because it makes it available in Sweden. It makes it available in Australia, China, where they're trying to grow the game. Mm -hmm. And you can watch it after the fact, and it's not a nightmare to do it. You don't have to worry about various rights holders. I wonder if the NHL could do something like that, where it makes it more accessible and Apple has a huge say in what when start times are. So if they can work in conjunction with ESPN, TNT, like that kind of thing, mm-hmm. and we have no blackouts, I think that will help with highlights online and getting highlights to be more easily distributed, as well as making the game more accessible so that like there are no blackouts. There was a Sens fan who messaged me and was like, hey, do you know where I can watch the game? Because they were traveling and there was a blackout in their area. And it's like, it shouldn't be that hard to be a fan of your team if you are not a fan of the toronto maple leafs or the montreal Canadiens in canada it is nearly impossible to find your team if you're traveling because of blackouts and it just shouldn't be that way even even like leafs fans you know like they, they're regional blackouts they're games that are only on sports in ontario or whatever like you know just for that night and if you and, and unless you unless you have the like a Sportsnet Now package or something like like those are blacked out for you. It's ridiculous. Um, what what they should do at least is is teams are starting to at least in the states um, create their own. What the what the Golden Knights have done? Were they like Golden Knights TV or whatever? The Leafs had Leafs TV. Yeah, they, the, yeah, but they didn't. They they had like replays of games on it. But the, what I'm saying is they had their own network. Yeah, but they shut it down. Yeah, Richard Petty built up NBA TV Canada. Like that mm-hmm. was his baby. Yeah. Right. NHL Network was built by John Shannon. He also built up Hockey Night in Canada. Like, I know he gets chirped a ton, but we straight up wouldn't have NHL Network, Hockey Night in Canada, like anything like that if it weren't for John Shannon. So, like, maybe on TV, like, people don't like his opinions, but in terms of actually producing TV, Mm, he's he's a genius. My favorite thing about John Shannon is if I want to get breaking news on Twitter five minutes after it's already been broken, I go to John Shannon. John Shannon is great at Elliot Freeman will break a trade. And there will be five minutes of reaction. And then John Shannon will tweet breaking. This trade just happened and be like, yeah. I wonder if he tweets it after the trade call has actually like been placed versus Elliot, who I know tweets it while the trade call is taking place. I wonder if that's a thing. It's just very, but like, it's not just trades. It'll be like, like any sort of like announcement from the league, anything like you are. If you live your life on a five minute delay, John Shannon's your breaking news insider. Everyone else. It's, it's very funny. But speaking of OGs here, Justin Hall, we have a new, we have a new King in the NHL. He's and a that, king. And that is the Justin Hall right now is the NHL's plus minus King. He's their plus minus leader. Um, <clears throat> now, Justin Hall is an enigma of sorts. He is somewhat, he's a player whose underlying numbers for the nerds, Rachel, um, uh, uh, they look, always look really good. But when you watch him on the ice, not so much. Um, but this year, Justin Hall is, is, uh, he's, he's turning, he's, he's doing, Justin Hall is pulling what I like to recall a reverse Justin Hall, which is he's on the ice for a lot of, a lot of goals for 
not a ton against. Um, whereas last year in the in the playoffs, uh, despite being healthy, scratch I believe for three three games in total, Justin Hall was on the ice for seventy five percent of all goals against uh, or all the Leafs goals against in the playoffs, which wasn't great. Um, but now he's thriving. Yeah, I think okay, so. Plus minus, this is a great way to just talk about why yes. plus minus is it's a bad stat on, on a game to game basis. Over mm. the course of a season, that's least, enough. It can tell you trends, I would say. That's enough of a sample size over the course of a season. If somebody is a minus 42, they, they're bad. Mm. Like it, there's no, like Nick Lindstrom over his career was like a plus 437. Yeah. You're not, that's unassailable. You're not arguing. That. But like, for example, like, like Phil Kessel in the Toronto Maple Leaf days, you know, like he was performing great, but he, he was always like a minus 20 because A, the team was bad and B, he was, he was playing like the, the, the highest leverage minutes against the best players. So naturally you were gonna, you were gonna wind up, like, if you're on a tough team, you're gonna wind up with, with more goals going in than out. That's yeah, exactly so. When well, Phil Kessel's not a bad player, he's actually the best player that's ever played the game, in my opinion. So Connor Bedard is probably mm. not going to finish a plus player this year. Mm. That does not mean by any stretch of the imagination that Connor Bedard is—he's definitively a bust. That's that's what that means. Yeah. And so Justin Hall is in Detroit now. It's a bad contract. We've already talked about that. We've litigated. He was a that. healthy scratch this year already. Like like the fact that he's being—he's he's the plus minus leader while being a healthy scratch. So if I would have told you that a pairing of Ben Sherratt and Justin Hall was thriving <laughs> in the first two weeks of the season and not tell you anything else about the Detroit Red Wings, what would you have said? I would have said, wake me up from this horrible dream that I'm having. That's what I would have. That's what I would have said. And instead, and we've. I have an article um, out about Alex Dabrinkat mm. and and the scorching start that he's had. And yep. you know what? A player going to their hometown, choosing what's best for them. Yes. You know, Ottawa Senators fans more than entitled to boo Alex Dabrinkat because they can feel slighted. That's fine. But to inherently have an issue with a player saying, I want to go home because it's what's best for my family. Like Jacob Truba saying, I need to go live in the United States. Because that's where my girlfriend is doing a residency for, that's where she is eligible to practice medicine. So I need to go to the United States. To contribute to society yeah. in an actually meaningful way. Mm -hmm. Because despite what anyone thinks, just because you make millions of dollars playing sport, you are not contributing to society in a meaningful way. We're talking about like Laurent Duvernay-Tardif retired as an NFL football player to be a pediatric doctor. Like mm -hmm. that's contributing. And so when a player says, I need to go because I need to do what's best for my wife, what's best for my family, mm -hmm. any case, I don't have any issue with that. Johnny Goudreau saying, I don't want to stay in Calgary because it's so far from my home. Yeah. I don't have any problem with that. And I don't think there was a great example. Sorry to interrupt. But there's a great example of like, there's a whole article in The Athletic by Murat um, Attes about uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois how he forced his way out of two teams. And we, and look, I will, I will fully, I will fully take responsibility for it. I criticized him a lot over that because that's just kind of how we, we are. Uh, uh, that's how we're wired. And his wasn't even a family thing. His was like, I have one career like, and I am, 
like I've, I only have so many years of being viable to contribute on like to do the thing that I've worked my whole life for. I only have so many years to be able to do that. And I'm not, I don't want to waste any of them. So that's why he was like, Oh, in Columbus, I saw that team going nowhere. I needed to get out. Then he got, went to Winnipeg. I saw that team going nowhere. I'm not going to waste time, you know, like, like in, in an organization, I need to go somewhere. He's in LA and he's happy and people can criticize him for that. I certainly did until, you know, at least I did this, but that, but it's taking, you know, it, it's it's taking back your power as a worker. Yeah, and I think that they should be commended for that because yeah. you're kind of breaking the norm of hockey culture, which is fall in line, do what you say, like put on the jersey, X, Y, Z. And you know what? Pure Luke Dubois, like we see this happen with RFAs all the time. Teams squeeze them. Trevor Zegers, Jamie Drysdale are being paid far less than they're worth because Pat Verbeek used the lack of arbitration to his advantage and he squeezed them so when trevor zegris and jamie drysdale are eligible for unrestricted free agency they can then use they're not taking discounts their side of the cba which is like everyone when austin matthews signed his deal everyone was like oh like look nathan mckinnon took whatever Eight or years and whoever whatever, yeah. took this oh that's their choice Austin Matthews doesn't have to do that. And Austin Matthews, if he were playing for a team not named the Toronto Maple Leafs, would be doing the same thing. And frankly, that is what players should be doing. Now, should Toronto have squeezed him when he was an RFA? Yes, they absolutely should have. Oh, sorry. Yes, when he was RFA. Sorry. Yes. But now that he's a UFA, he is more than entitled to get his back. William Nylander is a fantastic case study in this. Kyle Dubas and Lou Lamorello squeezed him. Big time to the point where he's making six nine six this year. So when William Nylander says, I'm going to be an unrestricted free agent, I want my bag. He's entitled to do that. And he shouldn't be villainized mm-hmm. for doing that. The biggest example I can think of that is PK Subban. He went, okay, you don't have the money to pay me right now. You're not going to pay me right now. So I will take a bridge deal two years, like two and a half or whatever. But when I become a, when, when this ends, like I am not, I am not taking a discount. Like you better pay me, and they ended up doing it. He got nine million, which was like thirteen percent of the cap at the time. Like that is equivalent to like Eric Eric Carlson's deal right now. He was like, "Listen, sure, you you want to use the fact that you know I'm an RFA, and you know you can you can squeeze me and keep me out for the whole year and whatever. That's fine. I will, and you know what? I will I will concede. I will take far less than what I'm worth for you know for two years. But when this when I come up, like." You better you better back that Brinks truck up for me if I'm worth it, which he was. You want a Norris, then like you better pay me, and that's and Jeff Molson held true on that, yeah, and, and then traded him. Well, and you look at this as RFAs versus UFAs. Like Pat Verbeek using the CBA to his advantage, mm-hmm. good on him. Pierre Luc Dubois using the CBA to his advantage, good on him. The Leafs not using the CBA to their advantage when they could have bad on them. Yes, don't villainize. You could villainize players for trying to push it when they don't have the advantage, but I don't think it's fair to say, like, John Tavares leaving. That's, that is probably the biggest case study. Like, he broke the mold in that regard, and he got so much hate for it. Like, if you told me, so, like, I've worked for teams, mm-hmm. right? And this is news to me. <laughs> I don't, I, I've never, dropping this bomb on me right now. If you, I've worked for teams, right? And I'm Again, not going to use. To me. I, I'm not going to use hockey as an example, okay? Because there's a very obvious where would I want to work situation. 
right? I've been pretty obvious about saying like the, I'm, I'm willing to work for basically two teams right now. Yeah. Let's go soccer. The Arizona Coyotes <laughs> and the Philadelphia Flyers. No, who? I actually might actually work for the Flyers. Like I, yeah, that'd be fine. I like what they're building. Yeah, but let's let's go soccer, mm-hmm. right? There's a difference between if any team but Bayern called mm-hmm. versus if Bayern called. I want five hundred thousand dollars. Let's just say if I'm a whatever. Right, because a, a lead data analyst for those teams makes the equivalent of five hundred thousand Canadian dollars every year. I knew I should have. I, I I knew I should have not dropped math as as quick as I could in high school. What am I doing? So let's say like some random team. So <laughs> even better, some Saudi team. Okay. Oil money All says right. we'll pay you three million dollars a year to come work for us <laughs> because that is actually what's happening right now. They're offering the sun and the moon to data people. Um, because they have that money in. They offered a billion dollars to, uh, uh, was it Mbappe or? Lionel Messi. 1.3 no. billion. They also, no, they oh, offered. Oh yeah, 1.1 to yeah. Mbappe. Yeah. And Mbappe was like, no. And this is a great example because Mbappe wanted to stay at Paris, mm-hmm. right? You are willing to take less for a place you truly want to be. If Bayern Munich said, we will pay you 200,000 euros and you have an offer for 3 million in Saudi, I'm still taking the Bayern Munich offer for like a litany of reasons. Mm-hmm. But using Kylian Mbappe is a great example. He was offered over a billion dollars to go play in Saudi Arabia. And you know what? That's life-changing money. Like it truly is. But Kylian Mbappe said, it's more important for me to play at home and play for a team that I truly want to play for than to make $3 billion. Mm-hmm. I'm already making a hundred hundreds yeah. of millions. I don't need to make $3 billion. It's not that bad. Lionel Messi still makes a billion dollars in the U.S., mm-hmm. but it was more important for his family that he not play in the Middle East. And so when you look at that, you shouldn't villainize players for saying, this is where I want to play. That's like, if you are angry at, if I got angry at Mike because Mike said, I want to go work at a different company and it's going to be better for me, my mental health, my stability, if I get mad at Mike for that, what kind of friend am I? Bad friend. Bad friend. Yeah. So, yeah, let's maybe, at least on this podcast, we are not going to lionize and villainize players for using their rights that they mm. fought for in the CBA. Speaking of villainized players, back to Justin Hall um, as the NHL's plus minus leader. It's a great sort of case study in, in ex- explaining what the how to use plus minus, right? Because it is a, it is a, it is a stat that is taken out of context, uh, uh, perhaps more than any other stat. And, and it is, it is a stat that can tell trends over the long term, but needs to be taken with a grain of salt here or there. It's, it's very rudimentary. Rachel, Justin Hall being the NHL's plus minus leader, you know, is that sustainable? What is this? What does that say about the stat in terms of how we use it? Yeah. So I think, um, what are his expected goals? Just as a because fifty-five percent, I believe. Okay, so first of all, he's plus nine through this uh, four, five, four five games. games. Five games he's yeah. played five games now, mm-hmm. so he's plus nine. And is plus two sustainable over a season? No, it's not. No, not for anybody. It's not sustainable. But this is a great sort of way to kind of talk about this. Is he's only played five games? Mm-hmm. That is not enough of a sample size to make 
a complete judgment of a player, especially on a new team. Should it impact your judgment? Yes, it impacts my model. Justin Hall is now an above replacement level Mm. defender. Not by much, but he's an above replacement level defender. So it's had a positive impact. I think this is a great way to say that this stat will tell you he's on the ice for more goals for than against at even strength. That's pretty much all it says, Mm -hmm. right? But that's why I asked you about expected goals. Because I want to know, is he just getting excellent goaltending? Is he getting a high shooting percentage? Because Both of those things are correct because his PDO is 125.2. It's what? It, his PDO is 125.2. I can genuinely say... I don't think I've ever seen a PDO that high. And PDO, again, for people who don't know, it's basically shooting percentage plus save percentage. It's supposed to say how good is is a when when a player is on the ice. How good is a player's shooting percentage? Like what's the what's the shot luck that that he's getting and how, and is he getting, you know, some saves because if a, if a player is shooting the lights out at an unsustainable rate and also the goalie when he's on the ice is stopping, you know, 98% of the shots, naturally you're going to have a very high PDO and naturally your stats are going to look great. That is exactly what is happening with Justin Hall. And just so we're clear, like the the appropriate PDO, the sustainable PDO is considered to be 100. 106 is, is like absurd. Yeah. So 125 simply will not continue. Like, I don't think I've ever seen a PDO that high before. I don't think I have. When I checked yesterday, his on ice save percentage was 97. So he is on the, the goalie save percentage when Justin Hall's on the ice is 970. That's mm-hmm. not going to sustain itself. And do we think that Justin Hall's mere presence on the ice is turning Billy Huso into the greatest goaltender of all time? I'm going to go with no. Okay. Um, but this is a great, Justin Hall, he's not as bad as he looked in Toronto. I think he play, was playing in situations where he mm-hmm. probably shouldn't have been playing in. He's now paired with Ben Sherratt. Which is that entire Again, situation is absolutely insane, mind bending yeah. to me. But they're not playing in the situations that Justin Hall was playing in Toronto, right? Those situations are going to Moritz Sider. They're going to Jake Woolman. They're going to Jeff Petrie, mm-hmm. who are and even though Jeff Petrie is washed old, mm-hmm. is still a better defenseman than Ben Sherrod and Justin Hall, and is being deployed as such, right? So. Yes, that save percentage will not continue. His on-ice shooting percentage of nearly 30% will also not continue. And it's because, aptly pointed out by a Detroit Red Wings fan, when Ben Sherrod and Justin Hall are on the ice, the forward line they're on the ice with is Dylan Larkin, Alex Dabrinkat, and Lucas Raymond, who are, like, Alex Dabrinkat's shooting 42% right 42.1. That is not going to continue. It will not. He will likely finish with a great amount of goals towards the end of the year. Like he's model has him projected now for 37.2 goals. Look at that. That's fantastic. But he won't be scoring on half the shots, basically, that that he's putting on net. Like it's 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 not that's not how it goes. Um, But like we look at Justin Hall and we go. Maybe this is a great opportunity for us to look at plus minus as as an opportunity as a, a somewhat of a flawed stat a stat that can be that can be used properly when when taken in with with uh, good context but justin hall is not the most valuable even strength player in the league yeah this is you know what that's a great point is plus minus is not the useless stat that some people would have you believe Mm -hmm. it really isn't because over the context of somebody's season or career Mm -hmm. it can be really telling it's a good long-term stat 
Nick Lidstrom, Mm -hmm. right, is probably the perfect example. Nobody needs plus minus to tell you that Nick Lidstrom is one of the best defensemen in the history of the game. However, Nick Lidstrom's career plus minus is plus 437. Mm -hmm. But did I need, like if I said a defenseman's plus 437 and that's why they're a good defenseman, or did I say this is an excellent defenseman and their plus minus is this, Mm -hmm. right? So you're using it as like an augment situation. You're just using it as more information. Yeah. So Justin Hall is having a fantastic start to the season. He's got four assists. He's having a great start to the season. And he's a plus nine. Mm -hmm. Okay, but that's not the first stat we're talking about. It's also not the most important. If you were to tell me that Justin Hall was a plus nine, but his expected goals was like 43%, then I would say, okay, well, his PDO is clearly more a contributing factor here than anything else. And there are some players yes. where their expected goals is horrible, mm-hmm. but they have a good plus minus because of either shooting percentage. And I mean, I can't think of one off the top of my head. I can. Oh, Do you okay. want me to give you one? So JT Miller, for example. It always of comes. Of course, this man went with JT. It Miller. always comes back to JT Miller, but JT Miller is is he's an enigma of a player because he ends every year with like eighty points, and yet his his uh, his defensive metrics and you know overall impact on the game is is maybe not not the best, but he still ends up with points. So it's the big how valuable is he now? JT Miller, again, this is only this is through five games. So can I? <laughs> Before we get started here, yeah, yeah. Um it's funny that you brought up like he finishes the year with like 80 points and Mm -hmm. this, that, and the other. So I was part of the Canucks when JT Miller finished with 99 points. Yes. And let's call it what it is. That was a fantastic offensive season. Absolutely. Phenomenal. But there was a prominent person that I worked with who said, or not I worked with, there was a prominent person in, hockey that i spoke Mm -hmm. to behind the scenes i didn't work with them that said that they wouldn't be comfortable paying jt more than seven and a half million dollars a year because while he had an excellent offensive season it probably wasn't going to repeat itself and it hasn't Mm -hmm. and at least to that level yeah he hasn't brought enough in a two-way perspective to make that person even believe that jt's a long-term center Mm -hmm. and that was not my belief that was their belief Mm -hmm. now obviously jt signed for over eight million dollars and they've rick talkett has really tried to get jt to play a a two-way game and i will say through five games this season i think that he looks a little bit better do i think he's going to be a long-term center no but i think that he is very clearly making strides towards being at least usable in Mm -hmm. a defensive role and good for him because he was unusable a little while ago. A completely unusable. Mm-hmm. Maybe I think even just not to get off on a JT Miller tangent, but like I think a lot of it comes down to effort on the other side of the puck. Like it, it does. It seems it's at least from the eye test, it seemed that way. JT Miller, like the Kevin Bieksa clip on Hockey Night in Canada yeah. last year was so tough. There to was watch. yeah, exactly. Um, but like for example, when we when you talk about a player who like that's why you asked about Justin Hall's expected goals, given how great his plus minus is. Um, 
just to see if he's just standing on the ice when good things are happening. Like JT Miller this year, you know, a top six player. He's play, he, you know, he has good deployment. Like he's he's starting the offensive zone more than the defensive zone and all that. He's outscoring opponents at even strength or a five on five to be specific, uh, four to two. You know, so he's so there's when JT Miller's on the ice, the Canucks score have scored four goals and they've allowed two. So that's great. Way to go, JT. The thing about that though is that his expected goals this year is forty one point three six. Which is brutal. It is they, he is he is relinquishing fifty nine percent of the expected goals. Do you know what that tells me? What does that tell you? Tells me that he owes Thatcher Demko a few dinners at exactly. Eliza. Uh, yes, but you look at his plus minus. He's plus four. Right. So there. You know what? That's a great example, right? And this is not a. I mean, I just finished saying I think JT has made strides. Mm-hmm. You're not going to turn into a freaking selfie. You're going to turn into Patrice Bergeron overnight. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But the, I think what fans should appreciate is that whether it's Justin Hall or JT Miller, there are strides being made. And especially in JT Miller's case, where that is an enormous contract for a very long time, there are strides being made, not only defensively for JT, but the numbers aren't there yet, but at least he's showing a, a commitment, mm-hmm. right? I believe he's already blocked more shots per game this year than he has in any season in his career thus far. That's also fantastic. But that's a great example of right now, he's still getting caved in defensively. And it's likely because Tockett is deploying him in situations that he hasn't really been deployed Mm. in before. He's getting caved in from a chances perspective. And Thatcher Demko is bailing him out. But has Thatcher Demko basically just bailed out that entire team for years, exception of Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, who has to, I guess, the surprise of some people, but certainly not to me, because you know how much I like Quinn Hughes. I mean, Quinn Hughes is looks unbelievable to start the year. He is in the Norris conversation five games in as far as I'm concerned. Well, Quinn Hughes, like we talk about players who, you know, have, have made a, a concerted Im- impact to be better two way. Like Quinn Hughes's defensive game has come leaps and bounds. He's phenomenal in that regard. And I think a lot of people look at, and maybe this is a great use case for JT mm-hmm. is Quinn Hughes three, four years ago, terrible defensively. Yes. And everyone was, earmarked him he's only an offensive defenseman he can't get better Mm -hmm. Quinn Hughes now arguably actually not arguably he is a better defensive defenseman than Adam Fox Mm -hmm. he I will not say he's better than Kale McCarr because Kale McCarr is Kale McCarr he's a better defensive defenseman I think than Roman Yossi now yes definitely I think the only better two-way defenseman in the league full stop are Kale McCarr and Charlie McAvoy and right. Justin Hall. But you know, yeah. Quinn Hughes, I don't know what his expected goals are, but that over a couple of seasons, Quinn Hughes has come a long way. And now people are starting to realize, whether they want to or not, that he is one of the league's best two-way defensemen. In a couple of years, and because JT is getting older, it's probably not going to be this way. But if JT can make steady improvements... Maybe his expected goals are 52%. But if JT Miller's expected goals are 52% and maybe he finishes the season as a plus 15, Mm -hmm. you can comfortably say JT Miller is a fine two-way player. He's not some defensive juggernaut, but he's not getting caved in via chances, Mm -hmm. via possession, 
And he's on for more goals for than he is against. At that point, you could comfortably say, if he's playing a matchup role, that he's a decent two-way player. But right now, he is winning the goals matchup, and it's more to do with his goalie Mm. than it is to do with him. So for Quinn Hughes, just to to reference that, he's 48% expected goals this year. And he's playing... The hardest minutes you could possibly play. Isn't he? He's averaging like 27 minutes a game. Yeah. He's playing more than Kale McCarr so far, and that's crazy and i'm i honestly think it's because nobody watches the canucks and they haven't for a few years because uh, i mean hey i worked for them like why would you but quinn hughes deserves his flowers and i think that we're going to start to see the vancouver canucks play a little bit of a different style this year under talking now that he's had a training camp Mm -hmm. but that's a great way to talk about kind of expected goals versus plus minus Basically, if you have a poor expected goals and a really good plus minus, it means you're being bailed out by your goaltender. Yeah. So Quinn Hughes has played 89 minutes on the dot of, of five on five ice time this game this year. So that's divide that by five. That's basically 18 minutes at just five on five. of right. ice time. And this he year. gets five minutes a game of power play time. Mm-hmm. So now we're at 24. And now and he's, he's on the penalty kill. He's the second unit PK mm-hmm. guy behind uh, Myers. So you probably which- tack on at least two minutes there. Yeah, two or three minutes. Yeah. So now we're talking like 27 minutes, basically yeah, 26, 20, 27. Yeah, that is. And he's he's thriving and he's almost at he's all, and if you can like he's almost at, you know, like even when it comes to and he's and in terms of scoring chances, he is at 52.37, I think. So you're out chancing the opponent. And when it comes to expected goals, he's basically even phenomenal player, you know, so it's all about context, all about deployment. You know, you have to really sort of uh, you have to, you have to focus on on. You have, you have to. You can't look lose at the a forest picture. for the trees. Yes, yeah. you have to look at the bigger picture. That's what that's what we've talked about with with analytics all the time. Is that you have to include it. You have to sort of uh, uh, meld the eye test in. It's analytics or salad. We've said that a million times. Um, so we've just talked about mm-hmm. plus minus is the lettuce. Yes. Expected goals is the dressing. Yeah. So the and so I guess the whole salad would be NHL.com slash edge, which uh, which launched uh, uh i believe today on monday i'm pretty excited about this which is like i'm rarely excited about anything that the nhl mm. launches i took a gander at this site and i i kind of got the heads up that like this was coming about a month ago mm-hmm. um because i'm somebody who works with the nhl api and this is a major kind of adjustment to the api and um for the you nerds out there the json file that gets plugged in to make the models Mike just had like a, he's like, what did she just say? I don't know. I, if you looked at the, like just the dead stare in my eyes, I. So I am pretty excited about this. Have you looked at the site? I've taken a look at it. So basically what it is, is if you want to know, you know, what Igor Shesterkin say percentages from shots that come from the left hash marks, this will tell you. If you want to know what, you know, you know, uh, uh, how quick or like what the average velocity of of Alex Ovechkin's snapshot from, you know, like uh, uh, from the left point is his office from his office. It will tell you that if you want to know, like it's it's basically if the, you want to know how fast Connor McDavid could skate, it will tell you that. But the one thing I'm actually most interested in but it's very specific it's like if you want to know how far karmic david travels in terms of kilometers over the course of a game it'll tell you that because they have this tracking thing mm-hmm. and the one thing that i'm most looking forward to is gap control has been a huge thing mm-hmm. it gets talked about it coaches if if i hear 
any word more than I hear gap control out of a defensive coach's mouth, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what word it would be. Other than maybe like block shots kind of thing. Or gumption. <laughs> Toughness. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's gap control is huge. It's been you impossible to quantify publicly. People use control zone entries and denials and things like that. But the reality is, is that doesn't tell you how close a player is now. And it really depends on if the NHL opts to make it public, because mm-hmm. I know it's available behind the scenes. There is actually a statistic that will tell you how close a defenseman is to an attacking player as they come over the blue line. So you will actually be able to know how good a player's gap control is and if they are using it to their advantage or not. So now it's it's almost like ammo to say, like, this guy has a good gap. Mm. Look at where it is. So I think from a statistics perspective, we talk about how difficult it is to quantify defense. And it's been really hard to quantify Absolutely, defense. Absolutely, yeah. I'm excited to dive in as somebody who builds models and look at how this is going to help me quantify not only team defense, but how good player defense is. Is Quinn Hughes really good because his gap control is really good? Is there a common denominator between the good gap control guys and is it their skating? Kale McCarr, Quinn Hughes, Charlie McAvoy, Hampus Lindholm. Is every guy with elite gap control an elite skater too? So I wonder kind of the things I'm going to be able to do to quantify defense. But as somebody who writes stories, Mike, what is what does a stat site like this do for you? Like what kind of information is it helpful for? Because I feel like it's helpful for you in a different way than it's helpful for nerds like me. Well, it'll certainly help me sound smarter. And that's hey. the main, and that's the main thing. Um, no, it's great because it, it, it just allows like sort of, it, it can either prove or disprove hypotheses, you know, like if, if you, if you're talking about a defensive pair and how they're just really struggling and how this is a big, you know, a big sort of, uh, uh, I would say detriment to the success of a team you're able, this, this type of site will be, will give you at least like the, the tools to sort of see, okay, well, what's behind that struggle? Is it, are, what are they not doing right? What is, what is an area of weakness for them? Could that potentially mean that, you know, a, di- a change in personnel, a change in deployment, a change in, in, in structure, something like that? Could, could, could that be different? It, it allows, it, it basically just allows less, um, le- like less general statements or less sort of hypothesizing and more just like being able to determine what is, what is the cause of this or what, or I'm trying to give a, a good example, like, like for like, maybe what, it's, um, I remember a few years ago, the James Reimer glove situation. Yes. Well, now you can see like, does he actually let in, like, it, does he actually have a glove problem or like, you know, with, with like the Jake McCabe, John Klingberg pairing, you know, like, like they're getting caved in. Like, why is that? Do like, do opponents, do they, do they like do opponents when it comes to dumping in and do they, do they, uh, do they attack the line with speed more often? Do they attack the le- the right side? Cause they know Klingberg's not good at retrievals. Do they know like that kind of thing? And you're able to, you're able to put that sort of, um, you're able to put that, that informed information in there. And instead of just doing the old, like, well, he's, he's, uh, he's bad defensively. And that's why, you know? So I think you brought up a great point mm. and that you can include it in your stories. What I will say is a couple of years ago, Ian Tullock and I, I think it was the second episode ever mm-hmm. of this show. I laid out to Ian why the NHL had opted not to make the sport logic data public. And it was because it's dangerous. And part of the reason it's dangerous is because you can cherry pick with it. Now that we have this, you are going to see people 
who do not understand stats. I guarantee you Mike is going to do this at least one point, and I'm going to call him out on this podcast because it's a learning experience. It's me. Yeah. You are going to see reporters use this stat site to cherry pick stats to fit their narrative. And that is dangerous. It is a drawback of making these stats public. Mm -hmm. But the positives that come from having more stats available surrounding your league and more information available means you're going to have better analysis from the people who do know what they're doing. Mm. And if you think about it, everyone uses expected goals. It might take a couple of years, but everyone is going to learn how to use this site properly. And when you're not using it properly, you're going to be called out. And so that's instead of saying the, my, my opinion on this has, has kind of evolved in that, I believe these stats should be public. And instead of the NHL saying we're not going to make them public because we don't want them to be cherry picked. Now, the point of emphasis should be if you are cherry picking the stats, we should be calling you out and you need to be educating yourself on how to use these stats properly because it's incumbent upon you to be telling the entire story. Mm. And so I think it's a fantastic thing that the NHL has made this site available. It's a really big positive. It reminds me a lot of what the NBA did with their stat site. Yes. And the NFL has a stat site as well. I think this is going to be, a, it's a fantastic step in the right direction. And I'm really glad the NHL did it. A rising tide raises all ships. So even if people start cherry picking with this, eventually that gets sorted out. The more information uh, that is available to your sport, the more interest that comes to it, the, the more accessibility, the more people that find ways to you know, like to find jobs and ways to contribute to that sport. I think it's great. Um, now, before we head out, there there is uh, some uh, unfortunate breaking news, I guess, like that we just want to give. So we want to give it um, sort of our, our thoughts and uh, I don't want to say thoughts and prayers. We just want to give our, our since, uh, sincere sympathies to the Rick, the family of Rick Bonus because Sunday evening, uh, Judy Bonus, wife of Rick, uh, of Rick Bonus, who's the Winnipeg Jets head coach, she suffered a seizure uh, and is currently in hospital undergoing further testing. So as a result, uh, Rick Bonus is taking a leave of absence uh, from the hockey club to take care of his wife. Scott Arneal is going to be the interim head coach while he's away. Uh, so we just want to send our sincerest sympathies and um and and well wishes to Rick and his wife and their family because uh, this is a difficult time. And absolutely, yeah. I think um, Rick Bonus is one of those people. Um, I know somebody that works with him on a daily basis, mm-hmm. um, and Rick knows that I'm close with this person. Mm-hmm. Rick Bonus is somebody who he's an old school coach who has evolved to be able to coach younger players. And what I mean by that is he's got that old school mentality, but he is one of the only coaches that will consistently check in with his players every single day. How are you doing? And he will coach each player differently depending on what is going to drive them Mm -hmm. to success. Like when you're talking about somebody who's a genuinely kind, compassionate, when you talk about coaches, right? There are a few things you need to have, Mm -hmm. right? You need to have compassion. You need to be able to communicate. Obviously, you need all the hockey acumen and everything like that. But Rick Bonus, similar to Paul Maurice, has absolutely nailed the human side of coaching. And that's why he's been in the game as long as he's had. He's he's coached over 2,000 games. Mm -hmm. And Bruce Boudreaux is very similar in that they understand people. And they can get people to perform for them because of that. And so... I really hope that Rick Bonus takes all the time he needs to take care of his wife. I hope nothing but the best for his wife. 
And in his absence, I hope the Winnipeg Jets play as hard for Scott O'Neill as they do for Rick Bonus, because that's the best way you can keep a smile on Rick Bonus's face. Mm-hmm. He he's somebody who in this sport we'd be a lot better off if, if more coaches conducted themselves behind the scenes with their players the way that Rick Bonus does. And Pierre Luc Dubois talked about that. Yeah, he talked about how like this was nothing against Rick Bonus, and he loved Rick Bonus, mm-hmm. and so. One of the great people in our game right now. And yeah, nothing but the best um, wishes for his wife, Judy, and obviously for Rick and, and their entire family. That's um, that's really tough to hear. Yeah. Um, well, on that note, we are going to head out. Uh, we will be back on Thursday um, with another lovely uh, podcast here. Uh, also, check out the Hockey News for um, the THN Action Show, which is now going to three times a week. So Rachel and I are going to be seeing and talking to each other a lot, um, which is going to be great. So, so stay tuned for that. Rachel, anything to leave our listeners with before we head out? Take care of your friends. Take care of yourself. And just enjoy life, honestly. Mm-hmm. And Justin Hall for Norris. All right, let's go.